Well, welcome to Faith Roots. And today's topic is gaming the system. Uh, we're talking about uh, asylum seekers, uh, the asylum system, and about the, the part that churches play in that. Uh, the other Sunday on Remem Remembrance Sunday, uh, there was a, a horrific, tragic, uh, terrible incident in, in Liverpool that could have been far worse than it was. Um, we got the news in the afternoon that a, a man had, uh, had strapped a, a, a suicide bomb vest to himself and taken a taxi. It seems that he was heading for Liverpool Cathedral. He ended up at uh, the Liverpool Women's Hospital. The taxi driver, realising his agenda, had locked him in the cab. Uh, and then when the bomb had gone off at 11 o'clock, uh, the, the bomber, the suicide bomber, had been killed. The taxi driver injured, ended up in hospital, but survived. Uh, but lots of lives were saved. Uh, in the week, it turned out that the, uh, that the bomber uh, had attended uh, courses at Liverpool Cathedral uh, uh, and had made some kind of a profession of faith. Uh, and this invoked the horror, the shock, uh, the criticism of the media. Uh, it uh, resulted in a rebuke from the Home Secretary as, as well. Uh, the accusation uh, was that Christians were uh, at best naive. Uh, uh, Dominic Lawson in the Times this Sunday referred to us as holy fools that we are easily taken in by people with their claims. Uh, or that even more cynically, that we deliberately go out to get converts and therefore because we're desperate to chalk up the numbers that we don't check the facts. And further that we were involved with corrupt uh, solicitors who are in it for, for the money in gaming the system. Uh, that it was uh, possible for somebody to uh, claim to be a Christian, to claim to have uh, been converted and therefore to be able to get asylum against religious persecution. Uh, that we therefore as Christians were complicit in that and that, that what would happen then would be that asylum seekers in order to frustrate justice and to frustrate the process would keep putting in appeals where they relied on their supposed Christian faith uh, when in fact nothing of the sort had happened. Uh, part of the uh, uh, the uh, amusement, uh, bewilderment about this was the, uh, the the shock that somebody could become a Christian in just five weeks. Uh, as uh, some wits on Twitter uh, and other social media outlets responded, just wait till they see what happened in the Bible, that people put their faith in Jesus and were counted as among his number, disciples, believers, Christians, uh, within a, meter, a matter of days, hours or minutes. Uh, but perhaps that's a, a subject for uh, another day. Uh, what I want to do uh, this morning is, is, is first of all talk about asylum seekers and about whether or not the church is uh, gaming the system. The first thing to say is this. 
that the very fact that one of the accepted reasons for seeking asylum is religious persecution reminds us that religious persecution happens that there are countries in the world where uh, to express faith in Jesus Christ uh, to convert to Christianity puts you at risk uh, in fact there are countries where to express any uh, religious faith is to put you at risk uh, in, in China, the, uh, there were reports this week that uh, Amazon have agreed uh, to take the Bible app off of their options uh, to comply, comply with requests from the Chinese government, uh, an attack on religious liberty. Uh, but in fact, there has never been such a thing as religious liberty in communist China. Uh, you are free privately in your own mind uh, to to have a faith you're allowed to attend state sanctioned and state censored uh, places of worship uh, providing you are an adult but it's to lose status it's to lose liberty it's to lose freedoms if you do that uh, in Islamist countries, being a follower of Jesus is to risk prison, torture, death. Uh, Christians in Afghanistan were told that the Taliban will be coming after them. So there may be people who pretend to convert. But if there are counterfeits, it's because the real thing is out there. That's the first thing that we need to be aware of. And if you are uh, a, a Christian, a, a church member working in a, often in inner city contexts, you are likely to meet people who will be seeking asylum. And some of them will be doing it on the basis of religion. And there may be some that are pretending, uh, but there are others that it will be real for that's the first thing to say the second thing is to say that when we talk about gaming the system it is helpful to be aware of what that system is like and what it does uh, a local MP once said to me that the problem with our immigration system is that it is both cruel and inefficient you could cope with a, a cruel system if it was inefficient. You could cope with an inefficient system if it was kind. But our immigration system ends up being neither. That was his perspective for somebody who had served at one point as a government minister and himself saw lots of asylum cases. I've not seen so many cases where it's been about religious persecution. I've seen a few. Uh, but the cases I've come across and spent time with people and helped them have, have not concerned religious persecution. At my time as a pastor, I've met people who have been told 
by the Home Office that the government believes, the government lawyers, the, uh, the case team believe them when they say that they've experienced persecution uh, from gangs, uh, from government officials, from people that uh, have the protection of the local police. Whether that persecution has included beatings, intimidation, threats, blackmail, uh, the threat of death, that they've witnessed the horrific, brutal torture and murder of friends and relatives, that some of them have experienced horrific sexual violence. Uh, they've been told that their claims are believed, uh, but However, uh, that the government is confident that if they go back, they should be okay, uh, that they should take the risk and go back and hopefully things will be fine, that they'll be all right, that, uh, that those that have been out to get them will uh, no longer be able to attack them or will have given up or somehow changed their mind or something. I've, I've worked with families where the Home Office would split a family up, send children to countries where they were not born, where they have no links to, apart from perhaps one of the parents that had been there in the past. Where doing that would actually mean going against family court orders for the welfare of the family in this country. And I know of cases where our Home Office would willingly have sent teenage girls back to face female genital mutilation, to be seriously assaulted. Uh, now, if the parent themselves or a relative had attempted to take a child out of the country for that to happen, uh, then all of the weight of the law and the authorities and the police and social services would be there stopping such an abuse happen. And yet our Home Office is quite willing not just to allow it, but to enable it. I've been with people as they've been through lengthy cases. I've been with people as they have had their case turned down and they've gone to appeal through the tribunals. I've been with them as they've been for judicial review to get a court with a judge to correct a faulty and unlawful decision. That's right. When a judicial review case is heard, it means uh, that the Home Office stand accused of acting unlawfully outside of their powers, not following due process or being unreasonable in their decision making. And I've seen the Home Office lose those cases. But when somebody puts an appeal in, that doesn't mean they're gaming the system or trying to frustrate the process. It happens because our Home Office often get it wrong. 
And so my first question this morning is this. Who is it that is actually gaming things? Who is it that is playing games with people's lives? Who is it that is putting people in danger? And that means that, yes, we are aware that people will lie, will cheat, will make fake false professions of faith. But we've also got to balance that with compassion. Uh, and the second thing, the second point that links to that is, is, is this. It's an awareness of people and human nature. Uh, you see, is it possible that somebody could make a a false profession is it is it possible that somebody could um claim faith in jesus christ when it's not real well the reality is that we we know that that happens it, it doesn't just happen with asylum uh, I'll give you a couple of of examples of 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 things uh, first of all, um, some churches, the Church of England and the Catholic Church, have uh, schools linked to them. Uh, Church of England schools, Catholic schools. And some people will uh, attend a local church in the hope of getting a letter from the vicar or the priest uh, to the school head teacher confirming that they're attending in order to help them get their child into the school to get preferential treatment. Uh, some churches will insist that in order to in, in order to conduct a marriage that the couple must attend the church for so many weeks and so you will see couples going to a church for a number of weeks in order to get married and then after they're married uh, they're not back at that church again and sadly even in terms of marriage i've seen couples where in in order to win the heart of the person that they've fallen in love with and in in order to win over the parents uh, the boyfriend or girlfriend will for a period of time show an interest in Christian faith. We know that those things happen. We are alert to all of the motives and all of the things that can come into conflict. And we see it. Uh, but we're also aware that people can make professions of faith or appear to engage in Christianity, appear to be responding, uh, because the Bible talks about such things. Uh, Jesus tells a parable, doesn't he? He says that the, uh, this farmer goes out and he sows seed and the seed represents the word of God. Uh, and some of it falls on a hard solid pathway and immediately gets eaten up by the birds. There's no question about those people that there's no response. They immediately reject the gospel. 
Uh, and some seed falls into good soil and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and then the grain appears and then it's ripened and there's this rich, bountiful harvest. But in between, uh, some falls onto stony ground, some falls onto um, uh, ground where there's fawns and thistles and there appears to be some growth, there appears to be life. Uh, but it's quickly scorched or choked out. There isn't faith that lasts. There isn't faith that stands the test. In, in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, the writer says this, Hebrews 6 verse 4, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him to public shame. And Bible passages like those are, are not easy for us. It raises questions about, can I lose my salvation? Can I fall away? Uh, now, I confidently believe in the God who is sovereign, who acts to save, who raises us from spiritual death uh, so that salvation is in his hands. It's his responsibility. Uh, I therefore take seriously, trusting, rely on uh, those words in John's Gospel where Jesus says that he will not lose any of those that the Father has given to him. And I also fully rely on Romans 8 that tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and also no separation. Uh, so uh, I believe in what is called the perseverance of the saints or sometimes referred to as once saved, always saved. I don't think that you can lose your salvation. I think it's possible for people to backslide and struggle and fall into sin. But I believe that if you truly belong to Jesus Christ, he is the one that holds you and keeps you safe all the way through. And that means we have to look carefully and see what those Bible passages are saying. And, and it does mean that it, it is a struggle, it is a challenge when we see people, never mind the asylum seeker who goes on a course, uh, does Christianity Explored or Alpha, and then later on is renouncing their faith and reverting to Islam or whatever. But all of the different people that we've seen. I know people that have been part of a church and even been up the front preaching, but gradually over time decided for. The Christian faith didn't agree with their intellectual convictions or didn't agree with their lifestyle. It's been hard, it's been painful. We've baptised people. And they seem to be nowhere today. And I think the point is this. The point is that you can be so close 
and yet so far away. The, the other Sunday I was preaching from John chapter 5. There's this guy who's in Jerusalem. He's so close to the temple, the place where you could offer your sacrifices to find peace with God. But he can't go to the temple because he is lame, he's crippled, he's paralysed. So he's ended up at this pool, the pool of Bethesda. Uh, there it's believed that if you get into the water, it has healing properties at particular times when the water is stirred and you'll be healed. And he's got so close to it. And yet he tells Jesus, but I'm not able to get into the water because there's no one here to help me. And if he can't get into the water, he's also not going to be able to get to the temple. He can't be made healed. He can't be healed. He can't be made whole. He can't be made right. He can't have peace with God. All of that seems to be denied from him. He's excluded so close yet so far. Uh, and yet there he would be, having done his best to get this close. And perhaps, you know, we would say that represents a genuineness. There he would be, he would be experiencing so much of the religious life. He would have been experiencing something of the, the environment where healing was taking place. Uh, and perhaps close to the waters, if they were, you know, like spa waters, he would have even been getting some benefit from the healing properties in the water as the sort of the steam rose, the mineral sort of effects. Uh, but he wasn't healed. I think it is possible to get so close that we experience something of the closeness of the Holy Spirit. We see people's lives around us being changed. And we even receive something of the goodness in God's word. And it has a positive effect on us. But unless there's actual faith in our hearts, unless we actually put our trust in Jesus, in him alone and in no one and in nothing else, unless we say that we renounce everything that we've been clinging on to, holding on to, uh, then there isn't faith. That there is false faith. Faith fake faith that we even may convince ourselves for a time, but usually not indefinitely. What are the implications for us as, as Christians, uh, particularly thinking about Christians that are involved in urban church, where we're going to be seeing all of the messiness of life? Well, I think it's this. I remember a guy called Philip Hacking, he was the vicar of the church where I went to as a student, saying that uh, the perseverance of the saints requires the saints to persevere. Uh, and what he meant by that was that we trust God to carry us safely through and to keep us safe. Uh, but our responsibility as human beings is to keep on. 
to keep on trusting, to keep on clinging to Christ. But I think there's another aspect to that. Uh, Perseverance of the saints also means perseverance for the saints from the saints. Uh, That we have to persevere. Uh, That we have to be patient. To persist. Uh, If you are involved in the team at Liverpool Cathedral that's been running alpha courses, that's been reaching out to asylum seekers, it would be very tempting at the moment to say that, that I give up on this. I can't trust them. I don't know if they're real. I think they're fake. I'm giving up. Jesus didn't give up on you and me. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Despite the fact that even amongst his disciples, there were those that were promising to stick with him to the end and die for him, who would deny him and desert him like Peter and the others. And there was even one absolute fake convert, this guy called Judas, who was pretending to be part of the team, pretending to care about the poor, pretending to want to follow Jesus, but was just in it to steal the money and was going to betray Jesus. And yet John 13 talks about Judas and Peter, but also tells us that Jesus loved his disciples completely, loved them to the end. That's what Jesus is like with his disciples. That's what Jesus is like with us, keeps on loving, keeps on persevering with us. And so that's what we should be doing uh, with those that we are seeking to reach, seeking to disciple. There'll be times when we feel just frustrated, feel it's not worth it, when we feel that we've been let down, we've been betrayed, we've been disappointed, we've been denied. Well, the one who has been deserted, denied, betrayed, doesn't give up. And nor should we. So let's keep on sharing the good news about Jesus, not giving up. Oh yeah, there may be people out there to game the system, uh, the system of the church, the system, the immigration system. Well, let the immigration system worry about its own. And let's allow God to worry about his church and who's genuine and who's in it. Our job is simply to keep loving, keep serving, keep witnessing, keep making disciples.